Welcome to the Australian Property Investment Podcast with your host, Aaron Christie-David. Each episode, we ask an expert to share their key insights for aspiring investors to make confident property choices. G'day and welcome to another episode of the Australian Property Investment Podcast, all about helping you make better property choices. I'm Aaron Christie-David, founder of Atelier Wealth, a mortgage broking business specialising in helping property investors. Join us each week as we speak to leading experts in their field to ask them the three most commonly questions that investors ask us. These experts live and breathe property investing, and I don't think it gets much bigger and better than having someone like Chris Gray in the studio with us. G'day, Chris. Hi, good to see you. Yeah, you too, mate. Thanks very much for joining us. I just want to make a note that please note that our discussions are general in nature and don't constitute financial advice. So we don't know your current financial situation. Uh, So sit back, uh, listen to Chris, because he has got plenty of wisdom to impart as well. Uh, Chris, you've been um, the face of Sky Business News for close to 10 years. Uh, Mate, you're talking all things property. You lived and breathed it for so long, mate. Uh, And it comes out in your book, The Effortless Empire, The Time Poor poor Professionals Guide to Building Wealth from Property, mate. We can share the link to people to get that. Uh, access to the book as well, mate. Um, what we really want to do is cover off on your own journey, Chris. You've been really open and honest about your journey as a property investor, so hope that you can share some of your wisdom from your from your own journey as well, and talk through what you look at when you're looking at properties as well on behalf of your clients as a buyer's agent, mate. So hand over to yourself and say, give us a quick spiel about you know, your journey to date and uh, a little bit about yourself, mate. Yeah, and you talk about the long journeys, and I actually kind of forget how old I am now. I've got to kind of work it out. So I started investing at about uh, 22, bought my first property in the UK, uh, and now I think I'm 48 from memory. Yeah, 48. You're doing so very well for a 48-year-old, mate. It's, it's been quite a few years. But look, I've always been a contrarian and done the opposite thing. So 22, I earned 10,000 pounds, which wasn't a lot of money. It's like $20,000. Yeah. And in the UK, you could borrow three times your income. So you could borrow 30,000. And I came from a pretty well-off family, like my dad was a heart physician, and um, so I lived in a nice house. And I looked what I could afford with 30000 and it was the crappiest property in the worst end of town, yeah. like absolute rubbish. And I thought, yeah, this isn't me. Um, and so I went shopping on a, on a kind of uh, for champagne on a beer budget, yeah. and I found this amazing place for 100000 And it was by all the wine buyers in a place called St. Albans in the U.K., and if you got drunk, fell fell out of the uh, the wine bar and rolled down the street, you'd end up at this property. So it's the perfect That's property right. for me. And I basically just set myself a goal and I said, this is what I want. And the bottom line, long story short, was I managed to borrow seven times my income and I had a 10 grand deposit. So I paid 80 grand for this property that was worth 100. But because I was a first home buyer and I wasn't involved in a chain, I managed to get the property because I could settle really, really quick. But even though my mortgage was more than my wages even before tax let alone after tax if i rented two rooms out and the rents were around 12 percent in those days i could live for free wow and so my skill is seeing the simple maths buy a a one-bedroom studio or a one-bedroom unit and you'll be mortgaged for the rest of your life you can't afford to go out supersize it borrow something seven times your income and you live for free and you get two years salary overnight because you've got a good deal and that was the catalyst that I've run with for the last 20 years, yeah. just thinking differently. So it's a bit like fortune favours the bold a little bit. You could kind of have a safe path, which was to buy something you could afford. You chose to go somewhere with a bit of a stretch target and go, that's a bit ambitious. 
but it kind of paid off for yourself as well. And and that's what I've done for, for the whole of my life because one thing they say about having a big mortgage is it's for savings. Mm-hmm. So people will only do things for pain. Like they, they, quite often they wouldn't do it for pleasure. So you'll never save a hundred grand. Most people won't because it's it's the pleasure. You're always going to spend it before you get it. Yeah. And so when you've got a mortgage, you've got no choice. So I've been mortgaged to the hilt for the whole of my life. Yep. Hence the haircut. I've got no hair because <laughs> of all the stress. But it forced me to save, and I'll do whatever I've got to do, obviously legally, of course, to make sure I pay those mortgages. And because I kept kept building a bigger and bigger portfolio. I've just had massive savings because I've been forced to earn an income to pay for that uh, that difference between the uh, the rent and the mortgage. Excellent. So, gun to your head, it's got to make you got to make it work. Yeah, I've got no choice. Yeah, like uh, I mean, my debt now is twelve million dollars. I never thought that that was that big. But yeah. uh, I caught up with a broker that um, gave me that loan like four or five years ago. Yeah. He said, that is the biggest loan I've ever done <laughs> in my life. People don't get $12 million mortgages. And I thought, well, I thought that was fairly normal type thing. <laughs> yeah. But it's just kind of crept up there. So it yeah. crept up from, say, £70,000. That's probably a 150, 200 grand mortgage. Um, and now it's $12 million. And it's just step by step. So I haven't had a massive jump. I haven't made a massive windfall. It's just, um, what do they say, the, the way to eat an elephant is one bite at a time? Correct, mate. Exactly the same thing. Which is almost one of the big, yeah, one, one of the questions I wanted to ask you was, uh, I look at the ATO stats around property investors and who gets past, you know, there's the, the thresholds, you know, one property, 70% of investors get stuck at one property, you know, 6% at three properties, and then less than 1% of investors will get past six investment properties. And you see a lot of books at 10 properties in 10 years, for example, some investors have aspirations to build a big portfolio, but very few will actually make that leap to becoming serial property investors, right, from your journey as well. So that's what I want to kind of pick your brain and say, how do you get past that threshold? Like what, what does it take as an investor to really start to think big and then, I guess, grow their portfolio as well? Sure. So I think it's pushing through a pain barrier, just like you might take up running for something. Um, say you go and run a kilometre, and most people can do it, but run, walk, run, walk. Yep. Then to try and get to maybe 5Ks, and I'm not a runner, so I don't know what these numbers are, yeah. but I've never run that far because I can't get through the pain barrier. And you've just got to push beyond belief, and then it suddenly gets easier, and then it gets harder. Like climbing a mountain, like all these hurdles. So the biggest thing for me is I'm naturally lazy. Yeah. Now, no one ever believes this because they say you're a high performer, you've obviously made a lot of yeah, money. Correct. Probably, you're probably being gentle on yourself there, but yeah. yeah. But but I am. And so I never wanted to work for a living. And so even in my early days as an accountant, and I used to work a 40-hour-a-week job, and then I used to travel up to central London every night and study accounting in college for minutes a week and then have to study at the weekend. Yeah. So I was almost doing like a 70 or 80-hour job with my study. But when I bought that first property and I made two years' salary overnight, I thought, it's this is a no-brainer. I've made two years' salary for doing nothing. And I, I repeated it the same year and did a joint venture with my dad, and we bought another property that was worth 100000 for 80000 And I thought, this is where the money is, if not from working hard. Mm. And I had an, a mate that was um, studying accounting as well, and his dad was uh, a business owner. And he said, I don't know why, son, you're wasting your time studying accountants, accounting because I can pay people to do that. Mm. And I thought my friend's dad was a bogan for saying that, because my dad was a doctor and academic, and say, yeah, okay, you're not a doctor, Chris, but yeah. uh, studying accounting, second best thing. But it's very true what the guy said is, 
is it's not the accountant that makes the money, it's the person that employs the accountant or uses the accountant's knowledge to then make the decisions. It's almost like you lived and breathed rich dad, poor dad in very your own similar. life, mate. Yeah. yeah, but I didn't realize this for maybe until I was 30. Right. So it's probably seven or eight years later I realized that my friend's dad was actually pretty intelligent, even though he was still a bit of a vacant type <laughs> thing. And so going back to the original question, I think for most people to buy one or two properties, and that's reasonably, reasonably easy. Yeah. But it is a big pain barrier because it's really then treating it like a business rather than as a hobby. And you've got to take things more seriously. There's more money involved. You've then got to hire better accountants, mortgage brokers, people like that. Yeah. And it's upgrading that professional team you've got all the time to find people to um, that will say yes. And so another thing I learned probably at 31, I spent maybe 15 grand doing a, a property course. And where I couldn't borrow any more money, so I had six properties in Australia and the bank said, no, you can't borrow any more mm. money. To me, then I gave up. But I then went on one of these preview nights and then spent all this money on a seminar. And the seminar presenters were saying, there is no rules. Go and speak to 100 brokers. Go and speak to 100 banks. If there's a will, there's a way. Love it. And because I was deep in debt. So if you're doing it because you want to make more money, most people won't go through that pain. But if you've got no choice that you have to get refinanced, you'll go through it. And I've even done it with Lewis, my business partner, the last couple of years. We saw all this pain coming through for uh, investors like me that were trying to get almost load up loans or yeah. the serviceability was suddenly twice as bad. We started going around the Peppers and the Rams and the BOQs, all those second-tier lenders, to say, we want to create a loan for investors like us. So we're not a bus driver trying to buy a $2 million penthouse in the Gold Coast that's mm. going to be worth a million overnight. We're buying the Bondi beaches that are a million dollars, that it's local affordability, it's stood there for 50 years, people can afford it. We're sophisticated investors that are educated, got good accountants. We're happy to take the risk. We're happy to pay a premium. Yep. But we just want the money. So on that very point then, so how are you assessing, uh, because as a, in your buyer's agency, put that hat on for a minute, how are you looking at so many different properties and assessing that's investment worthy versus I'm going to set this one out, for example? Yeah, so we know straight away. So a lot of people think it's a grey area, but we've seen thousands of them. We bought hundreds and hundreds. Mm. So I've got most of my knowledge from doing stuff like Sky News. Okay. So if I wanted to learn off someone, just like you're doing podcasts, yeah. you invite them on TV. And so I could get the heads of the research companies, so like um, Residex, Pindara, CoreLogic, Australian Property Companies, all those guys, the heads of some of the banks, the economists, the valuers, and I just learned from those guys. Mm-hmm. And so the reason, part of the reason Sky got me on was a normal journalist is they're good at presenting a show in a professional manner. Yep. I've got no idea. But because I know property, I can potentially ask a more meaningful question because I'm asking a genuine question for me, mm. whereas the journalist isn't a property expert and that's what they're doing. So I learned from the bank valuers and from the credit teams in the bank what they like and what they dislike. Yeah. And the classic things is they hate multi-high-rise. They help, hate stuff that's got retail commercial around it. Yeah. They hate big strata fees. They hate, hate brand new that suddenly could get devalued. Yeah. And they love secondhand. They love where the average Australian lives. They love the good suburbs, the blue chip ones versus the other ones. And so I just picked that. They want double-sized bedrooms. They want to know that there's a reasonable space in there. So I've just picked all my criteria for investing around those guys. Excellent, mate. Thanks very much. Great insights. And I think, yeah, your, your experience from Sky News says that you can pick their brains, right? 
I don't think there's any shortage of information out there for investors. In fact, I think it's probably overwhelming. And I can say, you know, conflicting advice. You speak to an accountant, you speak to a mortgage broker, you speak to a buyer's agent like yourself. Um, sometimes there's two sets of family and you know, parents involved, friends, um, other property investors, and it leads to a lot of confusion uh, for investors. And sometimes that overwhelm leads to them taking no action uh, and sitting it out, and that leads to their detriment. So, if your your advice to a first time investor, what would it be? And, and look, I think you're exactly spot on with that. So a lot of people say, oh, it was easy for you, you're investing in those days. You got lucky, yeah. Yeah, and I said, yeah, I uh, worked 80 hours a week. Yeah, that was pretty lucky. I mean, <laughs> I was lucky to be an accountant. Yeah, I studied for five years, worked my ass off and all the rest of it. Yeah, I'm lucky. Mm-hmm. Um, and in those days, there was no information, no books. Mm-hmm. I don't think Robert Kiyosaki was invented in those days. The rich dad, poor dad, no TV shows, magazines, the rest of it. Getting our first investment property, we had to get a loan from BNP, Bank National de Paris, yeah, right. because there was no UK banks that would lend to investors. Like, no one even knew what an investor was. But I think you're right, is now there's so much information that mm-hmm. people get confused and they do nothing. Yeah. And so my advice to most people is get some information. So you don't want to go in completely cold, because there is plenty of sharks out there and everyone's trying to sell you something, Yeah. and you can go down the wrong path. But I don't think it takes that long to get it 80% right. You're never going to get it 100% right. So if you're out there trying to get it 100% right, you're a perfectionist, stop it because you're never going to know them. I don't know 100% knowledge. Yeah, great. And I've done like 10 to 20,000 hours of, of education. Yeah. So you, you just need to make a start. You need to jump in. What I've learned from my property investing journey is most of the time if you make a mistake, it's never that bad. But as long as you follow the simple rules. So if you go to the one industry towns, like the mining towns or whatever else. Tourism hotspots, yeah. yeah. That could half in value. Yeah. But if you stay, say, to a major capital city, so Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, Perth, and then kind of Adelaide, some of the other places, yeah. you don't go in the CBD because there's no limit of supply, and most Aussies don't want to live in the CBD. Mm. So you go to that 2 to 5 to 10Ks out, you buy normal second-hand property, which isn't a professional seller, and go and get an independent valuation before you go and buy. I reckon it's – and you buy around the median price – I reckon it's hard to go too far wrong in that. Love it. As long as you've got the cash flow to hold you for a few years as well. Beautiful. So keep it simple. Don't overthink it, but do yeah. enough. Do enough. So the it, kind of it, things I'm buying now are exactly the same as what I bought when I was 22. Lovely. And so even though I've got this 10 or 20,000 hours, I haven't changed like that a tiny bit, but, but not a lot. And so, yeah, in a way I got lucky. But my thought process in those days is, if you buy a good property in a good area, you get good tenants. Mm-hmm. Good tenants have got good jobs and they pay the rent because they don't want their boss to find out they haven't paid the rent and they've been evicted. Yeah, great. Even something as simple as that still works these days. Beautiful. And that's it. Success leaves clues, doesn't it? So it's not like yourself. It's tread the path, um, you know, skin the game. I love it. Um, benefit of hindsight for yourself? Uh, I mean, you've, you've had quite a number of years as a property investor. Yeah. Uh, looking backwards, have you made any mistakes? And- so look... I don't generally believe in mistakes because I believe it's learning. Beautiful. And if you never took the action to take the mistake, you'd never do anything anyway. The worst deal I ever did is I did a joint venture with a guy in the UK who was a friend of my flatmates. Yeah. And because he was a foreigner, we had to buy brand new. And basically, I put up the mortgage, he put up the cash, and we split the profits 50-50. Yeah. And we bought a house and land package up in uh, Queensland. And... Um, Later on, I went to a seminar, and I didn't understand the Queensland suburbs. Yeah. I went to a seminar, and just like here, they might in Sydney, they might joke about buying in Zetland or buying off the plan in 
there are, there's, there's like 10 million of them. I think it's a bit like a mascot at the moment. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they paint in the same suburb that I bought. <laughs> yeah, right. Now, anyway, we bought this property. It went up 50%. Yeah. Sydney at the same time went up 50%. Right. We sold the property. We got out. I put the down. I still got a profit. So it was still a good deal. Yeah. I didn't make as much as I could have if I'd done something else. But to me, the great learning was is my biggest mistake was still a profit. Yeah. And it stopped me from doing the house and land package. Not that I think that you can't make money from that, but it wasn't my strategy. Is I think you try 5% here, 5% there to try different things to make sure that you're not missing out on a massive opportunity. Mm-hmm. So gamble a bit with a bit of your money, but then go back to your core. And if your core is right, then it's the way to go. And, and we're doing a similar uh, similar thing now. So majority of my uh, wealth is all long-term buying hold, hold it for 50 years type thing. Yep. We've now just started getting into property options. So right. I got a bunch of clients that all put in 50 grand each, so we raised a million bucks. I'm now investing in property options to option up like a billion dollars worth of property. Wow. So we go to a block that has got maybe 50 units on there, buy it under an option, and then we can maybe create 500 units. Wow. It's massive, and there's no leverage, there's no personal debt or anything like that. Um, but you could lose all your money. Yeah. But if you're only putting 50 grand in, and that 50 grand is getting diversified across five different projects, you've got like 10 bets at 10 grand, mm-hmm. and if one comes up, the leverage is, is like, turns it right. Then if you've made a million dollars, to reinvest 50 is no big deal. Yeah, correct. And that's the kind of thing. So reinvest part of your profits every year into education, into advisors, and into trying something a bit different to constantly educate yourself. Love it. And, mate, just on a, on a personal note, I mean, you, you drive some beautiful sports cars. I often have been quite critical of clients that maybe finance uh, vehicles. I call them financing liabilities as opposed to income-producing assets, which are property, mate. But on a more personal note, properties has helped, has helped you fund, I guess, more lifestyle choices as well. Yeah. yeah, so my biggest motivator in life is lifestyle. Yeah. So I don't, I don't want to work for a living. I don't care what the dollar value is that I've got. I'm going to have fun. Yeah. And so I was lucky to apply from full time work. Excellent. So I've almost had 20 years of fun. Sure, I took it. Yeah. Um, but what I thought on the car thing was like, I got a, a trying to salary sacrifice at a big and it was 250 grand, and they worked out the FBT tax on it, it was more than my wages. <laughs> yeah. And they couldn't work out why such a junior person in the office could afford a Ferrari. Yeah. And I said, oh, it's just for like playing around at the weekends. And the partners only a million bucks couldn't do it. Yeah. So I earned 80 grand. How could I do it? But my thought is, is that 250 grand I could have paid cash. But instead of paying cash for it, I got a, a, a lease on it because I then used that 250 to buy a million dollars worth of property. Right. If that million dollars worth of property then made fifty or a hundred grand a year, i.e. five or ten percent, that then pays for the car. Love it. So you can have your cake and eat it. Now the last purchase I've made was seven years ago. I bought a um, two thousand and five uh, Lamborghini Murcielago, yep. which is out there, yes. like bright orange, and then we turned it purple. And I've done something like forty five thousand Ks in it. It's now it's up for sale now. Seven years later. Within a week of putting it on the carsales.com, I got offered 250 grand. Right. So it's almost like having a free Lambo for seven years, <laughs> doing 45,000 Ks, which is ridiculous mileage for something like that. Yeah. And now, I'm, and this is a down market. So the insurance company even insured it for 350 within a year of me buying it. Incredible. Look, I'm not sitting here advocating someone goes out and buys a Lambo as a, as a financial <laughs> uh, vehicle, but it's. Um, if there's a will, there's a way. Correct, mate. There is an upside to it as well. 
Uh, mate, Chris, you've been great. Thank you very much for sharing you know, your right. knowledge, your insights. We're, um, we're incredibly lucky to have you on the show, mate. Um, you will find Chris's details in the show notes below. Uh, Chris runs Your Empire, uh, so you can search them online. Uh, thank you very much. If you've loved the show, we'd love for you to leave us a review uh, on iTunes. Feel free to share it with your friends and family. Thanks very much again, Chris. Until next time. Thank you.